Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. Welcome to tonight's celebration. And we are at the second last week of our challenge, We Can Know Jesus, which I am loving. I hope you're loving it too. And tonight I actually get to have an audience. So welcome audience. This is actually the first time I've spoken to an audience since mid-March. So it's really different. So I believe you're going to be blessed. Everyone's going to be blessed tonight because I really believe the Holy Spirit has something to speak to each one of us. It's one of those things where um, I can only share the words, but I pray the Holy Spirit goes through me to you, to you on the camera, and that we will really see what God has for us. So I want to start off with a story. And uh, this story is from John 8. So if you have your Bibles, otherwise it'll come up on the screen. And I'm going to talk tonight about you and about your identity, which is always um a fun topic when I say it's about you because we all like to know a little bit more about ourselves. And even though that might sound self-centered, it's actually, it's a, there's actually something in that because God created you to be you. So understanding you is really, really important. And as we get through this story, you are going to discover a lot about you and how Jesus sees you and what he has for you. So in John 8, I'm just going to go through it a little bit by little bit, starting at verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? So we're going to pause there because This is what I I believe when it comes to your identity is that you have, um, there's two aspects to your identity. There is uh, the in, there's an inward aspect to your identity and there is an external aspect to your identity. The, The external aspect to your identity is what you really want to be. And so all of us will be doing different things to, um, to, to, create this external aspect of our identity. It's how we want to be known. It's how we want people to see us. It's um, how we really want to be. And then you have this internal aspect of your identity. Now, the internal aspect of your identity is what you want to be like, but there's the hidden things about you as well. The things that you are weak at, the things that you're ashamed of, the things that you don't want anyone to know about. So you have this internal aspect and this external aspect, and they are always at war with each other. It's, you know, you actually know that. Everybody knows that because you know that there is a, there's things of you about you that you really want to be like. You really want to be kind and forgiving, for instance, and you want people to know that you're kind and forgiving. You would like that to be your identity. But inwardly, there's this a knowledge of you that you are not always kind and forgiving. Or you might be, but I'm not always kind and forgiving. And I don't always want people to know that about me because I don't want that to be my identity. That's cool. And that creates a a war. Actually, it creates a war within you. It's a constant battle for every person. So with this story here, you've got, and I'm going to draw. Now, drawing is one of my least strengths. So you'll have to forgive me. You might find it amusing. And, but it's like this. So you, you have, um, it's going to be very simple. You have two groups of people here. This one we call the accuser. And this one we call the victim. And this is what our life 
our world actually looks like all the time. You have um, the woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. So what she was trying to keep secret about herself is now revealed. People know about it and people find out about it. And these are the accusers and the Bible calls them the accusers. And they come to remind her and the others around her to bring her out totally in the light to say, you've fallen, you've done the wrong thing. And she knows that she's done the wrong thing because she's not protesting. She knows she's done the wrong thing and they know she's done the wrong thing. So they're pointing the finger at her and they're saying what we need to do to her is, is to stone her, which means to, to murder her basically because she's done the wrong thing. And I believe this little picture is what you see within each of you as far as your identity goes and me is that you have this part of yourself that is, um, you know you've done the wrong thing and there's the accuser and you often are the accuser of yourself. You hate things about yourself because you think, I didn't want to do that. I don't even want to be thinking this way, but I am thinking this way. And I'm annoyed with myself for doing that. So that starts, that's, that's the war that goes on within you. Then you take it to a larger scale. Families have accusers and victims. You have the people who annoy you and the people who fight with each other. Then you take it on a national scale and a global scale. And this is actually the story of our world. You have the accusers and the victims all the time. Now, which one are you? My suggestion is that when we look at this and we see there's always accusers and there's always a victim, that we are more likely to put ourselves over here, unjustly accused of things. But the thing is, I think all of us are this and this, that sometimes you're the accuser and sometimes you're the victim. And we think that we will solve the world's problems by um, if we could become the accuser and we could get rid of those who have done wrong, then um, we could solve the problems of the world. Or if, um, if I'm the victim and I can tell you why what I did wrong wasn't as bad as what you think, or um, yes, I know I did wrong, but you need to understand why I did wrong, that that would make it not a problem anymore. Or the other thing that we do is we turn wrong into right and then it's not a problem anymore. But in, in the inside, we know that it's not working. And on the outside, we know it's not working as well because there's still tension. There's still tension in homes and in families. There's still tensions in nations and there's still tensions globally, regardless of how we create right or wrong. And I believe this become these from these, we form our identities. Uh, we form our identity of, I want to be known like this. And so we like to become the accuser because we feel that if I can take control of things, everything will be right. I can solve the problem. This, I believe, is the, uh, is the problem that we have with humanity. So I want to read on just a little bit further in this story to see what Jesus does here. It goes on to say, so they're trying to trap Jesus into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer to, as he stood up again. He said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stopped down again, stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Let the one who has never sinned cast the first stone. So this is what we have now. We have the accuser and the victim. And down here we add a third person. And this person is called the advocate. Now it's getting good. <laughs> so the advocate comes into the situation and is placed with the accuser and the victim. And the accuser is asking this person here, who is Jesus, 
to solve the situation by telling us who was right and who was wrong. And this is how we like to solve our situations. If we could prove who is right and who was wrong. In other words, we always want one winner. We don't want a win-win situation. The advocate comes in and he wants a win-win situation. And what he does here is he says, okay, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And what he does here is he makes this group of people all the same. They all become the same. So good. Because yes. they become the accusers and the sinner all know that we're all the same. And so no one accuses and they walk away. This is actually a profound thing. What they expected Jesus to do, and I think what they ex people expect God to do and what people expect people who follow Jesus to do is to point the finger and cast blame. But Jesus comes in here and he doesn't do that. He becomes the divine leveler and he says, well, okay, this is how we'll solve it. Anyone who's never sinned, off you go, because you, anyone who's never sinned, has the right to judge. And they all realise that they're all the same. So let's read on a little further. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. That's interesting, isn't it? The one who's had enough life to know. There's a, a lot of things happened in my life. I better slip away. And there's probably a lot of people here who know about them as well. Until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And the Lord, she said, no, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So he isn't condemning her, but he is telling her that um, there is a better way. There is a better way than this. And he's about to lead us into the better way. And this is what he says. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Now, this is key here because what he says to her, the only one left listening, actually, which is really interesting. Well, it's probably bystanders listening, but all the accusers have sort of disappeared. And what he says to her is this. If you look at this continuum of people again, it's like, it's like this. And you have two groups of people once more. I am the light of the world, he says. And uh, he will bring light into the darkness. And this woman has this advantage in this situation. The advantage is that she knows her own sin and it's been exposed. And the others don't have that advantage. Mm. There's something about human nature that likes to prove even to ourselves that we're better than what we are and that we have a right over other people. Now, I don't know about you, but this is what I can do. If someone is upset with me, I will count in my head all the good things that I've done for them so that I can sort of weigh up like, well, hang on, I'm sure that I have done enough to earn um, a proper response. I've done all this and I haven't got my proper response. Have you ever done this? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh -huh. yeah. I think, well, you know, I remember doing this, paying for this, inviting to this, helping with this. And this is what I get. Mm -hmm. This is what I get. Yeah, yeah. This is this is not good. And so I have this sense of superiority. Mm -hmm. And what I'm doing here is I'm saying, I'm a really good person. I'm a really good person. What I'm not looking at is my offence, my anger towards that person, my demand that they treat me in the way that I demand, which is incredibly proud and full of yourself, where I, I have this standard that you should treat me like this and you should treat me like this and you should treat me like this because I'm weighing up my goodness. And what I'm doing like that is falling into one of these two categories and there's a continuum. It, it is the uh, Those who are... 
who are blind and those who see. And by this, I mean themselves. There's incredible freedom. Like for this lady who was caught in the act of adultery, incredible freedom because at first it looked like I've been caught and everything has been exposed until she falls into the arms of Jesus who doesn't condemn and she's set free. And the reason is because everything was exposed and she had to be real about it. And we live in a way that we try not to be real about. Like when I was teaching, this is what would happen, particularly around year nine and ten. You'd say to a child who's sitting at the back, can you please stop talking? Because you've been watching them talk for quite a time. And they say, I wasn't talking. You think, you were because I saw you talking. And they said, no, I was, were any, would any of you been like that at school? Never. Right. <laughs> I wasn't talking. And so, but then if they can convince you, they'll get away with it. And so they'll do it somewhere else and somewhere else and somewhere else till you can eventually live a lie about yourself. And you can convince, you actually have the ability to convince yourself that I'm actually really, really good. And that's a problem. If you actually think that you are so amazing that people should treat you in certain ways, there's a problem because you're someone who actually can't see yourself. You cannot see your own identity. That's a massive problem when you can't see your own identity. You're sugarcoating yourself. And even if everyone else thinks you're great, one day that people will see through the cracks. But for a long time, people can just believe that this person was near perfect. But when you when you someone who actually sees yourself, when you get really close to Jesus so that he sees you and he allows you to see yourself, you start to become free. It's a vulnerable yes. place to put yes. yourself in. And you don't want to go into that place until you know who he really is. This is why knowing him is really important. Knowing him is not just knowing about him. It's like, you know, you hear um, a news report and the news report might say that um, a 35-year-old man died in a car accident. And you don't know um, what colour his skin was, what sort of job he did, was he married, was he single, did he have parents, did he have children, etc. And it's just you drive along listening to that on a news broadcast and you think, oh, that's sad. A 35-year-old man died on that road. I knew that road was a problem and that's it. You don't feel much about it. You just feel a bit annoyed and then you go on to the next news thing. Then you meet someone who knew that person and you get a little bit closer and they say, oh, I knew that guy. He was a really great guy and he worked at this place and, you know, he was a nurse or something like that. And you think, oh, that's sad. And he was married with two children. Oh, and you start to feel a little bit more because you get to know him just a little bit more. Then you meet his wife and you start to feel it a whole lot more because you're getting a bit closer. And he, she knows him really, really well and she starts to tell you about him and then your heart begins to break because you start to feel and it's like that with any relationship. And many of us know Jesus from afar and we even could think, that's great that there's a God who loves us like that. Mm. You can even be down here totally blind. You can even be, I dare say, a Christian who is totally blind to yourself because you're living this religious act. You haven't taken, haven't stopped to get to really know him. And when you get to really know him, you start to become one of these people who sees. And you know you were one of these people who sees because you look at yourself and you think, I honestly can't be the person I want to be. I cannot be the person I want to be. And that's why people, when they really come to know Jesus, often cry because they see themselves and they see the helplessness of themselves and they realise there is someone who loves them so much that as they get close, he doesn't condemn. So knowing him is far more than knowing 
what a great man he was when he walked on the earth, how amazing it was when he died. It's actually to encounter the real inner you, the real inner you, the real identity of you with the light of Christ and see how he responds when you, when you come together. So let's move on a little bit further. Jesus says this, people come to him and they say, well, you're making all these claims about himself. And he says this about himself. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards, but I do not judge anyone. You might think Jesus is coming to to judge everyone. He's saying, I'm not coming to judge anyone. I'm coming to serve people. I'm coming to love people. But here's the very key thing he says about himself. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. He knows who he is. He's got a clear understanding of who he is. And it comes out from that understanding of who he is that he is able to do the things that he does. So when it comes to our identity, because our identity is conflicted, because we're trying to create an identity for ourselves um, and we're working very hard to create an identity for ourselves. And sometimes people say to me, well, you know, well, but I'm anti-Christian because I try really hard to be good. And it just shows such a misunderstanding. It's like that when people say that, it shows this inner and outer conflict going on all the time. It's like, I know who I'd like to be. Um, I know the put sort of person I want to be. I know the sort of image I want to have. And that can, and we throw that into our job and the way we dress and everything because we want the outer and the inner identity to become the same. I believe that God's put inside us a desire to be someone amazing because we're created in his image. We are created to be absolutely amazing. And until we get to the point of seeing ourselves and saying, I want to be amazing. And now I am actually going to be humble and honest and real enough to say, I'm not. I'm actually not. It's such a liberating thing to say, I can actually give up. So then where do you get your identity? How do you get that identity that Jesus has that stands before accusers that is able to um, to come and stand against religious systems, against accusers, against people who were put him to death and his identity stays the same and his love for people stays the same. You know, when people are under pressure, that's when you discover if their outer and inner identity are exactly the same. And when Jesus was put under pressure, falsely accused, I don't know what you're like when you're falsely accused, but I'm not great when I'm falsely accused. I feel really annoyed when I'm falsely accused. And and there's something inside you that thinks this is not fair. But Jesus is perfect and he's falsely accused and he's crucified, which is so unfair and so harsh and so horrible. He is humiliated as well when he's falsely accused. He hangs on the cross naked. So he has humiliation, rejection, isolation, all the things that we we hate, people hurling insults at him. And yet what comes out of him at that point is incredible love. It's incredible love for people because he knows who he is. He doesn't have to say, let me prove to you who I am. I used to be confused by that as a child when when I was in church, Easter time, and you're reading story, you're reading about Jesus on the cross, and they're saying to him, if you're really the son of God, get down off the cross. And I used to sit there as a little girl thinking, get down off the cross, <laughs> prove to them that they're all wrong. And I didn't understand then that he didn't need to, because he didn't need to prove to them that That's he was true. wrong, because he was secure in who he was. There wasn't a, it wasn't a desire to fight. He knew who to fight, and that was the devil. That was the one person that he was there to fight. The other people he loved, the people, sorry, the devil isn't a person, the people he 
he loved. And so on the cross, what comes out when he's under extreme pressure is this, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing because there is a much bigger picture than this. And he could see the big picture. and We can't always see the big picture, which leads us into the next thing, because he knows who he is. So where does our identity come from? And so we come into this scenario now, which is the much bigger picture. And in this scenario, we have God the Father. And uh, I love to call him the Father, because I notice every time Jesus prayed, he called him the Father. And the father is the judge who discerns between right and wrong. He is the father, he is, but he's a good father who cares. And the reason he discerns between right and wrong is because he wants goodness and he wants right and he wants justice to happen in our lives and in the world. And down here we have the accuser. And over here we have the advocate. And so you've got the father, you've got the accuser who is the devil. This is the bigger picture now. This, this linear thing is what we see in the world that we live in. This picture here is the real picture. It goes beyond just the linear that you and I can see. It goes to the cosmic realm, the big picture. And Jesus came to, to bring us, and he's doing this in this story with this woman. He's bringing the big picture. He's saying there's more than you can see. You human beings are trying to are going from, vict from accuser to victim, accuser to victim over and over again, and nothing's ever changed. Let's show me, let me show you the big picture. There is a father and there is an accuser and there is an advocate. And you think, well, where am I in this picture? Well, you can either choose an identity along here or you can, and you can fight for it all your life or you can have the free gift of a new identity. And the free gift of the new identity comes through Jesus. And he said, if you will die to yourself, I will fill you with my spirit. I'll fill you with my being and you'll get a new identity. And your new identity will be the unique way that you are created. Each one of us here is created differently. So there's a unique way that you are created. So it doesn't mean you're just one of a mass. You're not just a drop of water in the ocean. You are totally unique, but you're filled with the spirit of God. So those desires to be that person that you dream of in your heart can actually now be a reality if you take on this yes. new identity. Yes. So where do you fit into this picture? Will you choose where you fit into this picture? You can't be the father, the judge. This is what, uh, this is what the accusers along this line tried to be. And this is what this accuser tries to be. So you've got to be either here or here. And you choose for your identity. You choose if you position yourself there or there. You make a choice every day. It's not just a one-off choice. So sometimes we think I make that one-off choice when I give my life to Christ. I believe you make that choice every day and multiple times a day where you're going to fit into this. And so often in our self-righteous way, when we are blind to ourselves, we, we still sit over here. Even people who say I've given my life to Christ still sit over here. And you might think, no, I, I don't do that. So if you just pause for a moment and you think of um, your last week and conversations that you've had and have you been in any conversations where someone's reputation is being downgraded at their expense with your words and you'll find that all of us at some point fall into this. And when we're like that, we become the same as those people who are going to stone that woman. We need to be really aware of that because our identity then is lining up with the accuser That's a good point. because you have an accuser who was who called the prince of this world and he wants us to be the people who are, he, it's the destruction of the world is, is the accusations and the unforgiveness. He wants us to stay there and we get so easily into that and our identity becomes one 
who tries to be God the judge and we, try to, and, we, and we think we'll solve it by being the accuser. And if I could just help everyone see where people are wrong and, uh, and destroy their reputation, I could make myself a bit better. That's when you're sitting up there as those who are blind. Or you can have this, uh, this identity. You can stand right next to Jesus. This is Jesus over here. And he is the advocate. And the advocate is one who stands before the Father and says, here is... Um, Put your name in here. And they have been adopted into this family as a son or daughter of the living God. And I have transferred my righteousness unto them. And when they come into the presence of the Father, they come in as holy and righteous without a single fault. And that becomes your new identity. And when you're a person who's actually allowed God to shine his light on you and see who you are, and you say, yes, I see myself, I want this new identity, this becomes your new identity. And that's why, the, that's why the scriptures say it's no longer I who lives, it's Christ who lives in me. Thank God that it's not me just trying to do it anymore. I've got this new identity and it's Jesus in me. And every day he is transforming the way I think and the way I speak and the way I act. And it's a lifelong journey of becoming like him. So one more thing about this before we finish off. If your new identity is this, if your new identity is to be like Jesus. I, this is what I think is a, is a problem in the Western church at the moment, is that we want to know Jesus to, um, to feel good. And he does make you feel really good. You want to know Jesus to, make, to, to feel good about yourself and to be happy and to be contented and to get rid of troubles and trials in your life. But it's a far bigger picture than this. Because Jesus said this, when you become like me, you are going to be my witnesses. In other words, you're going to be like me. So ask yourself this, am I like Jesus in that? Jesus said this, um, you'll be filled with the Spirit and you'll be able to go and you'll be able to heal the sick. You'll be able to cast out demons. The disciples came back to him at one point and they said, we've gone out and the demons are obeying us because you've become like Jesus with this authority. So your identity is more than forgiven. It is forgiven. It is set free. But you now have this authority. And once you have this authority, you rise from... Um, this normal plane of trying just to create an identity to knowing who you are and knowing that you can take this message of forgiveness to people. You can take this message of power to people. You can see people healed and delivered and reconciled and set free. And when they came to Jesus and said this, he said to them, they said, the demons are even obeying us. And he said, and that's great, but rejoice more about this, that your name is written in heaven. And that's saying that's your new identity. What you have to rejoice about every day is your identity. And then you go into the world and say, I'm going to bring this message of forgiveness. So we need to ask ourselves this question. Am I bringing the power? Am I bringing grace? Am I forgiving? Am I full of grace? Am I full of encouragement? Am I full of strength? Am I, and I, am I strong in myself knowing my name is written in heaven? And I am a unique creation. It's a question for us. We're going to pray. Thank you. Father, thank you so much that you have opened the way for us to have this new identity. And I pray, Lord, for each one of us here listening tonight that we would embrace that identity. And as we embrace that identity, we will know it because we will have this, the power and the conviction to, to forgive to see restoration come, to pray as, as Jesus prayed, to see demonic powers pushed down under the power and the authority of Jesus that we have, to see justice and mercy and grace and reconciliation in the world. May we, we be more than just 
receivers of your grace and mercy, but may we be bringers of your power and your truth into this world in Jesus' name. Amen. <music>